We are going to talk about this morning why we believe in the inspiration of the scriptures, the doctrine of inerrancy. Um, at, at the coronation of the kings and queens of Great Britain, one of the, one of the major events is that the Dean of Westminster comes and he hands the Bible to the Archbishop of Canterbury and the moderator of the Scottish Church, and they go over to the sovereign who's sitting down, and they say this. Our gracious sovereign, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you this book the most valuable thing that the world has to offer. What a statement that is to sovereigns who, whose riches are beyond calculation. And the moderator continues, here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. That means this word is living. It's the living word. It's the most valuable thing in the whole world. And this is why we believe in the doctrine of the inerrancy of the scriptures. That is, there is no error in them. In the original autographs, the Bible contained no mistakes. In the original languages it was written in, it's absolutely infallible. It's got no errors whatsoever. And this is the belief, of course, of the Australian Christian churches, which says, we believe the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, and infallible word of God and our highest authority for faith and practice. And it's been the position of all the confessions of the great evangelical churches right down through the ages. And by scriptures we mean the 66 books of the Bible, the 39 of the Old and the 27 of the New Testament, no additional books. Uh, there are some religions that say, oh, this book should be added, some sects. No, it's the canon is closed, it's the 66 books of the scripture, and that was the byword of the Reformation. Uh, the Westminster Confession rightly observes that the supreme judge by which you judge everything can only be the Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture. God inspired the original writers. And not only that, in his providence, he preserved them to be handed down the generations. And so, it's a wonderful thing that there's a miracle of the providential preservation of the scriptures and we can see as we study church history how these have been handed down and without error. The Bible is God's self-revelation 
of himself to men. It's not men seeking after some God they don't know. It's God revealing himself and his redemptive work through Christ, the Son of God, and his ongoing work in building his church through the power and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit working in and through men. And that's a wonderful thing we have is that the Holy Spirit of God can work in us and through us in building the church. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the most wonderful experience we can have is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and experience God working with us. And of course, this is why we find it not difficult at all too, to know that the scriptures are, are inerrant, they're, they're true. And of course the scriptures claim it for themselves. Um, this is the great reason we believe it. it. It's like if I'm trying to sell you a motor car and I build it, and there it is, and it does zero to 60 miles an hour in say four seconds. And you can prove that, you can get in the car and you can prove it. I'm the builder, I made it, you can prove it. Well, God gave his word. He knows what it is, so it's quite right for God to claim that the scriptures are inspired. After all, who else but God could proclaim that? It's his word, so he proclaims it. <clears throat> the great scripture, just one of so many. But this scripture encapsulates it all. First Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That word there, inspiration, is the Greek word theopneustos. Theo, God, and Neustos, breathe. God breathed out the scriptures, and we can trust them. And then Peter writing in the New Testament, 2 Peter 1.21. For the scripture came not in old time by the will of men. That is, they just didn't conjure it up. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13, Paul writing this, he said, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you heard the word of God, which you received from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. Does the word of God effectively work in you? If you have faith, it does. It effectively works in me because it's transformed my life. I can tell you that when I found God, when I was about 18, 19 years old, back in about 1964, it just changed me. I probably wouldn't be alive today, but for God. But God gave me, I used to think I was smart when I was really dumb. But God changes your life and he gives you wisdom and blessings. And I remember talking to a man who became, took over the church in Geneva. He said the very same thing too. He said, but for God, 
I'd probably be dead. And there are so many that can say that, but for God, I could be no longer living, in prison, in an asylum, in hospital, but God lifts you up. I mean, all you really need to know that the Bible is true is to experience it and to be able to give you testimony. And I'm a, I've lived a few years since I found Jesus and I, so have you, and you know that it works. It effectively works in you who believe. And then Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, 16. Consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the Scriptures. Notice what Peter says here. He equates Paul's writings with Scripture on the same level as the authority of the inspired prophets of the Old Testament. And those people who wrote the Old Testament more than 3,800 times claimed they were transmitting the very Word of God. This is why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, Moses wrote, he said, you you will not, and of course, this was God speaking through him. He said, you shall not add to the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught through it. So when I became a Christian, you know, uh, before becoming a Christian, I thought I could just pick and choose, you know, what I'd heard, but becoming a Christian, you, you know you don't add or take anything from it. And Samuel said, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me. His word was in my tongue. The psalmist said, the entirety of your word is truth. And in the New Testament, in the Gospels, they bore witness to the fact that the Old Testament was God speaking. Matthew 121, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets. Mark 12, 36, David himself said by the Holy Ghost. And there's so many more verses we could share with you. In the epistles, Hebrews 4, 12, the word of God is living. It's not dead. Brother, it's alive. That's, that's what they say to the sovereign of Britain. These are the living oracles. It's alive to change you. It's living. Not only is it living, it's powerful. Powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And when you read the Bible, and you come to the very last book, the book of Revelation, and then when you come to the very last chapter, In the very last verses, we read, For I testify unto every man 
that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away the words of the prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. And that is why not just the Jewish scribes and copyists, down through the generations over about 1,500 years, the Bible written by more than 40 authors, but these Jewish scribes in the holy fear of God, whenever they copied the scripture, they were so careful to get it right. And one of the great things about the finding of the, scroll, the scrolls at Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, in 1947, was that there was a scroll of the book of Isaiah, a scroll, and it was written about the time of Jesus by the Essenes. And when they compared it with the Jewish Masoretic text that was the copyist that went right down, say, to AD 1000, that was the latest copy of the text, boy, the same. That's how careful the copyists have been. We can believe in the providential preservation of the scripture. And the same goes for the New Testament. There's not one doctrine that's been changed. Oh, in some of the copies, they may just have got the word order a bit different or spelling of a name occasionally a bit different, but so careful that the Bible is trustworthy. It is the Word of God. In fact, the Lord confirmed it himself. When you read Jesus' argument, he said, one jot and one tittle shall in no, part, no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And discussing just one word with the Jews, Jesus said, the Scripture cannot be broken, He's talking about they, if the Lord called them Elohim, gods, and the word can't be broken. And then Jesus talking to the disciples in the upper room on the night of his resurrection said, these are the words, actually, sorry, on the road to Emmaus, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was yet, no, the disciples, which I spoke to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And those were the three sections of the Old Testament. I'm almost beaten for time, but I've got to conclude with this. The Lord, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, said, he that made them in the beginning made them male and female. The Lord in Luke 17 spoke of the flood and Noah's ark. And then he spoke about the destruction of Sodom. And in Matthew 12, he spoke about Jonah and the great fish. This is Jesus. The Old Testament was absolutely true.
we believe it. And the inerrant Bible is the bedrock and is the very foundation of our faith. The psalmist asks, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And this is why we study, and this is why I'm concentrating so hard on the fact that the Bible is inherent. In its original, it's without error. It was trans. Uh, down to us in its transmission. We can believe it. It was copied faithfully. And you don't have to be a linguist to be a Bible scholar. You just have to know the word. I, I told you this morning uh, on the earlier service, one of my friends back in Geneva was, uh, he was the British, the main British interpreter for the Helsinki Arm Accord with Russia and America when they were limiting the number of nuclear weapons. He had been in the monastery of St. Catherine on Mount Sinai, named David Balfour, one of the famous Balfour family, that gave the Balfour Declaration. He spoke 13 languages, but when he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, he had to go through all the languages he knew to make sure he was speaking in tongues, in an unknown tongue. But he said this to me. He said, when you are an interpreter like he was, he said, you're the tool of somebody else. You're the, the politicians are just using me to interpret, to get to what they want. I'm saying that to say this, to, to encourage you, that you don't need to take years studying Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew to be a Bible scholar. Oh, you can trust what the Bible says and the way it's interpreted. Of Lancelot Andrews, who was just one of the interpreters, or the translators for the King James Bible, it was said he could have been interpreter general at Babylon. The world wanted learning to know how learned he was. We are so blessed to have this word, the lively oracles of God. Supposing you were asked to build the bridge over Sydney Harbour, you'd really need to know what it was to be a construction engineer. You'd need all the plans, you'd need all the mathematics, you'd need everything to make a good bridge. My brother and sister, God wants to make a bridge for you to eternal life. These are the plans. You've got to carefully follow them. You can't just throw the plans aside to build Sydney Harbour Bridge. Say, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll just do it the way I think it should be done. Nobody's going to go on that bridge. In fact, it'll never be built. Upon a life I didn't live, upon a death I didn't die, I place my whole eternity. I believe these are the plans for everlasting life. To have a ministry, to be a soul winner, you don't need all these languages.
Just like Lewis Hamilton, who drives his Formula One racing car and wins. He's got faith in the car he drives. He doesn't have to make a new motor car. He just knows how to drive it. Brother, this book tells you how to drive your life. How to drive your life. So if you've been making some crashes down the way, or if you've been having some broken tires or engine problems, come to the book. <laughs> Hallelujah. I know if I ask many of you here, you could testify how it's changed your life, how it's helped you to navigate, how it's brought you to where you are. It's brought me to where I am. And it'll take me, I believe, to life eternal if I keep on. And it will too. You too. It is infallible. It is without error. It's from God. God reveals himself in this word to us. And he wants to reveal himself to you. And if there's anybody here this morning that you've really not put your trust in the Bible the way you should have put your trust in it, I believe God's asking us this morning, put your trust in this word. Take it. It will be your guide, not only for now, but to eternity. And I'm going to ask Pastor Josh to come here. And finally, speak to your spirit. Lord, examine your hearts just for a moment. Am I standing on this word? Am I taking my life down your road? Am I trusting? I can trust you, God. You're responsible for it. These are the directions. Would you open your heart this morning?